0: Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your provision for us. We thank you that you are a God of mercy, kindness, and compassion, one who is long-suffering. But we understand as well that you are just, that you will judge all sin. But, Lord, for those who don't know you, we would pray that you would bring that gift of salvation, that they would forever be able to remain in your presence and experience all your glory and father for a world that is lost and dying and seems to be on the edge so many days we pray lord that you would just reign that there would be no doubt that you are moving that you are causing things to happen that you are putting people in certain places and moving around countries and activities and you are just working your will Help us to be ever mindful of that, Lord, as we submit to you and ask to be used in that effort. So as we go through your word, we pray that you would help us once again to learn from the Israelites and from Moses and his relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, taken out last week, some big changes have happened over the last month. I mean, big changes. Uh, when i was watching the election and it looked like it was just hopeless now i do want to say this i'm going to say a few words about the election Uh, i don't care who gets in there as long as they act the most closely to what god wants right right That's what I want. I don't care if they're little purple or green Martians and they were born in the United States and they get elected and they're over 35. That's just fine with me. It doesn't matter. I just want somebody who is going to act in a moral fashion. And so when somebody gets elected, like for instance, if they are anti-life and not pro-life, I want to vote for the pro-life person. If they are for protecting the people and maintaining order i am for that and when i have seen on the news that groups are being paid up to twenty five hundred dollars to go out and riot and cause mayhem i think to myself now who is the author of that and what side and there's probably several sides of people that just want to instill fear like remember when uh, the inauguration took place And that limousine, did you see that limousine just burning out there? $70,000 worth of damage, and it was an immigrant's limousine. And they torched it, and a big A with a circle was on there. Do you know what that A stands for? That's the anarchist movement in the United States. They had nothing to do with the election. They just wanted to cause mayhem. They didn't want any government oversight whatsoever. And our God is a God of order. And our God is the one who sets up those who rule and puts down another who he says, you are done. And when this election took place, I noticed I was watching it at night, and I I recognized there was this big lull. It's like they were calling state after state after state. 10% in, they called the state. It got all the way up to 90%. On some states, and they still weren't calling him. And I'm going, What is going on? Something is going on here. And I recognize, and I think it's on a spiritual basis. The enemy was trying to move to figure out what he could do. Even uh, Trump won, right? Trump thought he had lost it even at nine o'clock. And Hillary thought she had won it even at nine o'clock. And it, it's like everybody woke up and go, What happened? Hey, is this really what has taken place? Who do you think did that? That was totally God. God got in there. This, this nation was set up. Like I said, I, I've been through some of these history books lately of the United States and what has taken place and these serendipitous acts that have just fallen into place. And you go, how on earth did these things take place? It is all God because we know God is responsible for putting up one person and another. Now, make no mistake. Do I think... <laughs> Donald Trump is a knight in shining armor. No, I don't. Does he, put, does he have the foot and mouth disease? Yes, he does. I mean, there are some problems with him, but, you know, we're never going to get the Messiah. And we're not voting for Jesus to be in there. But I believe with all my heart that what God did saved us. I think it was the Christians in this country that were praying, oh, Lord, Lord, Have mercy on us, please. And it was all across the country. If you're familiar with any of the churches and movements that were going on during that time, people were just praying and they were fasting going, Lord, please. Because I believe if the other side would have won, either Bernie or Hillary, we would not recognize our country today. It would have been turning so far to the dark side, let me say. I mean, abortion, we would have been funding abortions as we already do internationally, and that was just stopped. And that's, see, when you look at the Bible, you go, well, that's a good thing, right? Yes, that's a good thing. And I always need to say when I talk about abortion, you know, there are women who have gone through this that have suffered. And God is a God of grace, and he forgives us. All we have to do is ask him. But all that being put aside... I am encouraged by the people that are being appointed and what they're standing up for. And there's actually a fight that is going on. There isn't this laying down and saying, well, you know, we can't do anything. I'm not one to just sit back, and I'm sure you guys are not either, and just let things go from bad to worse. And so I am encouraged by that. And the Lord has done that through Scripture over and over and over where he lets a country, a people kind of slide towards Gomorrah, kind of act like they're from Sodom, and then the people intercede and they say, Lord, will you help us? And he lifts them up. Now, how long he lifts them up for? How long will this last? I don't know. I think it kind of depends on us. Now, God has his plan, that's for sure, and we're not going to interrupt that plan. But he can be gracious to us in the midst of that plan. And so it's our job to make sure we're following God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we're doing what he has asked us to do. And this is what the Israelites attempted to do after they had made this golden calf. Remember that? They set up this golden calf in chapter 33. And Moses was on the mountain for 40 days, and he had not been heard from. The Israelites, they built this idol Aaron even lied about how it came to be they worshiped it they sacrificed to it they got caught up in drunkenness and revelry and when Moses came down from the mountain he saw what was taken place he broke the two stone tablets that had the 10 commandments on it the people were judged by the sword the levites came up Uh, To Moses. Moses said, whoever is for the Lord, come up with me. And the Levites did that. And then Moses gave the command, take your sword and go through the camp and kill all of those who are worshipers of this golden calf. And they did so. And that's why they were set apart as priests. They were special unto the Lord. But also the Lord brought this plague upon the people. And we see that there's probably still hundreds, if not thousands, that died as a result of their disobedience. But God goes on. And he restores them. The final act that he did was he took that idol. He burned it because the inside was wood. It was overlaid with gold. He burned it. He mixed it with water, and he had the people drink it. And it was bitter, and it caused them to be sick. And God wanted them to see the result of their sinfulness and how it makes them sick. And I believe it makes God sick, too, to see the sin that just rises to its apex or to its pinnacle, and nothing is done about it. Now, there is, after the intercession of Moses, a time where God relents. And he says, you know what? I'm going to go with you. Because previous to that, he said, I'm not going to go with you because I am so mad. In the vernacular of of our day, God would say, I'm really ticked at you guys. And he didn't want to go with them because he was so angry with them. He could have killed them just at the drop of a hat. And he didn't want to do that. And so he says, you know... I'm not going to go. And then Moses says, Lord... How will we be distinguished between all the people in all the lands out there unless you go with us? Why would you send me unless you're going to go with us? Unless you're going to guide us? He goes, "Don't send us if you're not going to go with us." So he pleaded with God. There was this realization of sin that the Israelites had. They repented when they heard God wasn't going to go with them. They took off all their ornaments or their rings and their, you know, they didn't have watches but bracelets and things like that necklaces. They took all those off and they repented before the Lord. And this was evidenced by an appeal to God. They said, God, please forgive us. And because of that, God said, I will go with you. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 16, how will anyone know that you are not pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And so this intercession goes up from Moses. God relents and says, okay, I will do this. Now, there is a application in all of this. Do you or do we desire... For God to be the distinguishing factor between us and everyone else. In other words, in your job, when you go somewhere, when you're having fun, do you want people to look at you and say either, you're a Christian, aren't you? Or do you want them to say, you're a Christian, aren't you? You know, which is it? We get a chance to be a witness... Just by our presence. And Moses was pleading for that. Just your presence. When people looked at the camp of the Israelites, what did they see? There was something very prominent that could not be missed. And everybody saw it that came in eyeshot of the camp. It was that pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. Everyone knew that God was with those people. And that's what Moses was praying for. To give you um, another example here, this idea of being a witness. We can be a witness just by asking God to be with us. And he performs his work. There may not be a pillar of fire or a pillar of smoke above your car as you're driving down Highway 8. Now imagine if there was, and people saw that, what? You would cause so many accidents. People would be so upset, like, Y'all keep your God to yourself. Just don't get in the car and drive down Highway 8. You know, that type of thing. But we want to be a witness in the way that we speak. I mean, that's one way. The Things that we say. I I haven't used this verse in a long time. Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And so when we open up our mouths, are we full of derision are we full of insult are we full of cutting or is our speech always seasoned with grace see that is what we're supposed to do is be a witness verbally not only visibly and I think sometimes as Christians we cop out we say you know I can just I can be good I can live an orderly life and people will see that silent witness boulder dash put that silent witness to the side and learn to open your mouth not just you but me too and i have i have been engaging lately an atheist online and it's it's kind of fun you know (laughs) to get on there and and it started out he was uh he, he just made this post he said i am an atheist And I want to learn about religion, different religions. And that's what he left. And I said, I'm a Christian. Do you have a question? And from there, he goes, do you believe in the Bible? Yes, I believe the Bible is the word of God. Do you believe in heaven? Yes, I believe in heaven. And, you know, our our conversation, it's been going on. I mean, I have some text on this thing. We've been going back and forth. Come to find out, it looks like, and I'm just guessing, it looks like he's a 19-year-old engineering student in India. And he speaks English, types it fluently, and we're just kind of going back and forth and he got a little uptight because I was using such simple examples and I said look I don't want to offend you I'm just trying to give you some simple ideas explain God as simply as I can because God's not complicated in his salvation and what he offers for us and so I have taken it upon myself and I hope you guys do too to engage the next generation he wanted to know I said you know since you're offended can you tell me your age I said I don't want to know your gender I don't want to know where you are I just kind of want to get an idea of who I'm talking to so I can focus my language to that level. And so he goes, I'm 19. He goes, And you? <laughs> I said, I'm 21, six foot two, and only way. <laughs> no, I, I didn't do that. I said, I am old enough to remember, although I was young, the Kennedy assassination. I remember that as a very young child. And he goes, wow, you're over 54? And I said, yeah, I'm over 54. And he goes, okay. you know." And so he, he was engaging me some more. And it's good that we engage people like that. I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know if he's ever going to talk to me again. I have no idea. But I was able to get him to the point, like, for instance, uh, some of you have heard me talk about this. I asked him about absolute truth. I said, do you believe in absolute truth? And he goes, no, I do not believe in absolute truth. And I said, do you believe that absolutely? And he said, yes. And I said, well, then you believe in absolutes. And he goes, no, I don't. He goes, you're not making sense. And I said, well, precisely. I said, every argument against absolute truth is an absolute, which means you believe in absolute truth. And then there was silence. Nothing. I mean, I'm going, okay. You know, I just waited. It's probably 10 minutes. He goes, okay, I get it. You know, and then we move on to the next thing. And it is exciting to be able to engage people and talk about God. And most everybody wants to talk about God, from the atheist to the agnostic to the believer. Everyone wants to talk about God. You don't have to worry about that. And you, if you're online and you're engaging somebody who's a millennial or somebody who is younger than that, it's okay. Bring up the subject of God. They're not going to say, oh, stop talking to me and hiss at you. They're not going to do that. Just talk to them about God. Most people are interested. They want to have the conversation. And so this idea of being a witness, Moses wanted to be a witness. He wanted God to be there, his presence. Moses wanted the outside world to recognize that God was with him and the Israelites. He wanted to be distinguished as being different from everyone else. He wanted God's presence to be the thing that people saw, and he didn't want it to be hidden now at some point in my life and in your lives we have probably gotten into a situation where you didn't want to be too overt that you're a christian i'm not saying you should carry your family bible everywhere under your arm nothing like that but we want to try to fit in with the people we are with and the people we are with whether it's family or someone else we don't want to be too much out there and ruin our witness and that Hey I understand that. But when the time comes, and I've talked about this at Christmas and Thanksgiving, if your family's gathered around, do you take the initiative to pray? Do you say, "Wait, we're going to pray." You know, I do that now in restaurants. Thank you, Lord, for this food. You know, I want to make sure that we're not hiding it. Not that I'm being obnoxious or anything like that. I just want to make sure, and we grab hands, and I don't care if the person's not a believer or not. It doesn't matter. I want to make sure that I am being a witness for God, and not that I'm the good person. I've learned this from others. It's just go ahead and be who you are in Christ. And if somebody wants to be offended by that, well, what are they? They're intolerant. And especially those people who are out there who are so against Christianity, they claim that they are the purveyors of tolerance. They are the most intolerant. Everything is acceptable except what you believe as a Christian. Do not be afraid to stand up for the Lord. Be like Moses and say, no, I want everybody to see that I'm a believer and God is with me. Now, what about this? God being with us. You know, let me digress a little bit. In Moses' relationship with God, did Moses go before the people and make this request to God with the people there? Or did he go to the tent of meeting and meet God all by himself and say, God, this is what I want? That's exactly what he did. He did not do it in front of a bunch of people. He got before God and said, God, please go with us. I'm currently in this book by Ravi Zacharias. The book is called Why Jesus, and he says in this book that the most treasured thing that he owns is an old Anglican prayer bench that he can set up in his house in a room and he can use. Now, a prayer bench, if you're not familiar with that, it's, a, it's probably about uh, two and a half feet high. And it has a place to put your knees on down below that's padded, kind of like in a Catholic church. You know, in a Catholic church, you pull down that little rung down there and you can get on your knees on that and put your hands or arms on the pew in front of you. Well, he has that in his house. And he says that is the most valuable thing that he owns. He finds that as he gets older, he's able to use that and be before God. And he makes his requests. And he has seen God move as a result ...of using that old Anglican prayer bench. And so Moses did this same thing. Moses, when he pled with God to be distinguished, God answered that. It was a promise. And if you do that, if I do that, if we are alone before God and say, God, I want you to be the prominent, the dominant thing that people see when they look at me. They don't see what I do. They don't see my family they see you first. That should be, every one of us, that should be our goal. And that's what Ravi is talking about in his book. This is what Moses did. Now, from this point, Moses had a greater desire to see God. As soon as he surrendered to God with the people, they all repented. They wanted to know God more, what his will was. They didn't want God going away. They wanted everything that God had to offer. And Moses goes, now, God, I want to see you. I want to see you in all your glory. And you remember the story. We already covered it. And God said, "Uh, sorry, you cannot see me in all of my glory and live. Ain't going to happen. And so when God showed up, the Shekinah glory of God over the tent of meeting, jesus i think according to scripture it says he met with god face to face jesus would materialize in there kind of like beam me up scotty that same type of thing i don't know if it would be instant or if it'd be shadow or if it'd shock moses like oh oh there you are that type of thing or if it, you know he just materialized there somehow i don't know how it took place but it says he met with god face to face with i believe is a christophany an old testament appearance of jesus christ and he just shows up there and he talks with him but he goes god i want to see you in all of your glory and he says you can't do that moses but i'm going to take you i'm going to pick you up with my hand how big is his hand to be able to put moses in his hand it's like whoa, <laughs> whoa! there comes the hand and it picks him up and it sticks him in a cleft of a rock right And I don't understand exactly how this happens, if it was actually his hand or it's just an anthropomorphism so that we understand it and God just translated him over there. I don't know how it happened. But God walked by him. He walked by, and I don't know if he was really big. I don't know if he was really small, if he was just like our height. I don't know how it happened. And I don't know if there was sound when the light went by. Zzz. You know, so I have no idea how it happened. But Moses wasn't able to look directly at him. But as soon as God passed, there was this wave, this afterglow, this something that was back there. So Moses goes, cool. And he sees it out there. And as a result, later on, we'll find out that his face started glowing because of it. Some people call this the afterglow of God. But God said, you cannot see me. All you can see is... Is what remains after I go. Now if you meditate on that a little bit, you go, now wait a second, what about in my own walk? What if I say, God, I I want to see you more? I, I want to see you move. Oftentimes when God is moving and you are right in the midst of it, you don't see it. You go, is that is that God? I don't know. But hindsight, it's 2020. Right? You look back and you go, wow, God, I see how you moved. You did this and this and this and this all these years back behind to prepare me for this day. I had no idea at the time you were moving. Moses was in the cleft of the rock, wanted to see God, but he has no idea what God looks like. He can only see the work after it's done. And this has happened a couple of times in scripture. One of them, if you take your Bibles, Turn to Judges chapter 13. This is a classic case where God shows up and the people he shows up to don't even recognize it until afterward. They go, "Wait, That was God. Oh, man. Why didn't we just know this? Remember on the road to Damascus, the two guys who were walking along? They were talking and their hearts were burning within them because they were talking about Jesus Christ and his crucifixion and Jesus is giving them this Bible study all the way through the Old Testament and this is what's happening. And then, boom, he disappears. And they go, oh, that was God. Oh, that was Jesus. Oh, man. They would have been so excited and they rushed back to see the disciples and it it was something where they were clueless when God was right there in the midst, but afterwards they recognized it. Now this is the case with Manoah and his wife. Now Manoah and his wife are the parents of who? That's right. Parents of Samson. And so his wife was barren. In verse 2 of Judges chapter 13 it says, A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. Now going down into the middle of verse 3. It says, you are sterile and childless. This is God talking here. It's just an angel or a man of God is what she thinks. You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Further instruction is given down in verse 5. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Verse 6, then the woman went to her husband and told him, a man of God came to me who looked like an angel of God. Very awesome. And so Manoah's was curious. Verse 8, then Manoah prayed to the Lord, Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent to us come again and teach us how to bring up the boy who was born. God heard Manoah. Verse 9, verse 11, Manoah got up and followed his wife. Then he came to the man. He said, you, are you the one who talked to my wife? And he said, I am. He said down in verse 15, you know, he talks to him a little bit more in verse 15. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, we would like you to stay until we prepare a goat for you. He goes on to say that even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food in verse 16. But verse 17 says, then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord. What is your name? So that we may honor you. When your words come true. Now, there is another person in the Old Testament. Let's see who is studying their Bible. There's another person in the Old Testament that said, Tell me your name. Who was that? Jacob. Jacob, That's right. It was Jacob in the Old Testament. And what was he doing when he asked for his name? He was wrestling. Would you like to be in a wrestling match with Jesus? Well, was Jesus winning? He wasn't winning. You know, In tenacious little Jacob. You're not getting away. I'm moving on to you. And so then God touches his hip and makes him lame to make him stop. That's not fair, right? Oh, that's that's like cheating. I, I used to wrestle. And if you had a full Nelson on somebody, that's cheating. You get dinged for that. You get penalized. And there's all kinds of illegal moves, right, that you can do. And that would have been... Against all fairness, but God did it to him. And he goes, tell me your name. And he said, no, I'm not going to tell you my name. But he ended up blessing him anyhow. So this is the case here. Manoah says, tell me your name. And God says, why do you inquire about what my name is? He replied... That his name is beyond understanding in verse 18. It goes on verse 19. Then Manoah took a young goat together with a grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched as the flame blazed up in front of the altar towards heaven. The angel of the Lord Ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell on their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized it was the angel of the Lord. Verse twenty-two says, "We are doomed to die." He said to his wife, "We have seen God." They didn't recognize it until afterwards, and they, they're just beside themselves. He thinks, "I'm going to die now because I've seen God." Goes on, but his wife answered him, "If the Lord." God had meant to kill us he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands nor shown us all of these things or now told us this and the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson so this is a classic case where god moved something spectacular happened but they didn't recognize it was god in their midst and that can happen to us when we are just simply going through our daily lives when we're serving the lord and we think okay this is all good and uh, you know i hope god blesses it and there's god right in the midst he's doing things for you and you don't recognize it until you look back you look back and you say how did that happen God orchestrated this thing that we would come in contact with these people and that this would happen. You know, Acts chapter 17 talks about this. I've mentioned this many times before. But it says we were born in a particular time in a particular place so that we have the greatest chance of being saved. And there's no other time, no other place that we should have been born in order to make this happen. So God said, like for me, He said, I'd be born in 1978, and that I would live right here, right? Uh, No, I was born in 1958. 1958, when I was born, God said, that is when Bill is going to be born. And these are his parents. And you might think, well, I was a mistake. Sorry. Sorry. There are no mistakes. I was supposed to be the girl. My name was supposed to be Sherry. And when I came out, it wasn't Sherry, you know, that had shown up. And so God determines who you're supposed to be, who your parents are supposed to be, where you're going to be born, so that you have the greatest chance throughout all time, throughout all history and all places to be saved. God did that just for you, to give you the most opportune time, the most opportune environment. And you look back over your lives, how did you get here? I've often asked that. I've said, How did I get here, God? I used to hate those Christians, those slimy Christians. You know, and God has a sense of humor, right? And so he prepared everything in my life to get me to this point. He has done the same thing for you. He has prepared everything in your life, those people who have witnessed to you up to this point. He has brought them into your life. And so we are interconnected in this way if we are saved. If we are not saved, he did the same thing so that you have the chance to be saved. It is only the individual who rejects God's offer of salvation that will not go to heaven. And so Manoah and his wife did not recognize that God was working in their midst. There was sin. After that, there was repentance. Moses desired God's presence with him and the people. His request was granted. He desired more of God. He wanted to see the glory of God and wanted to see him work, but he was denied. He could only see the aftermath or the afterglow, the result of God's presence, and did not not realize or apprehend or was not able to comprehend the actual presence of God. So God's presence comes after the practice of prayer. That's a little note you can write down. God's presence comes after the practice of prayer. For instance, when you get saved, how does God come into your life? You ask. That's how you get saved. It demonstrates your willingness, right? How do you become a disciple? Your willingness. You pray. God, I want to be a disciple. And he goes, ah, perfect. You're praying according to my will. You're going to be a disciple. Here's your task. Here's your trial. Here's your walk in life. He does all of that. So God's presence comes after the practice of prayer. And also his presence concealed, but through his works revealed. God is always working. He's always doing something with us or to us so that we might be fully mature. That's what his desire is for us. Now, we can resist that. Do you know somebody in the Bible that resisted God's will? Moses, maybe he's one. Oh, Lord, send somebody else. Jonah, Lord, I'm... He didn't even say, Lord, I'm not going. He just got in a boat and went the opposite direction, right? And then after that, he was still just cantankerous as could be. He just didn't want to have anything to do with God forgiving these people. There are all kinds of reluctant people in the Bible, and God breaks through and uses them anyhow. If you are reluctant, are you willing to say, God, break through my reluctance, I want to be used anyhow, right? Go ahead, use me, right? Even though you're reluctant? Yeah, you're going, no, no, I, I don't want to do that. Just, you know, it's such a blessing. It, you know, it's difficult in this life to walk with God. It's hard. We all struggle. It's very difficult at times. And at other times he brings this peace that blankets over everything and it's just like, okay, I can go on again. God knows when we need times of refreshment. He provides that for us. Even Jesus took times of refreshment off for himself. But it can be difficult. Moses had a difficult life. Joshua had a difficult life. All the prophets in the Old Testament, if they didn't have a difficult life, they were killed. They were sawn asunder. It is believed that Isaiah was sawn in two, cut in two. I mean, what kind of life is that? Yeah, I want to sign up to follow God. Yeah, you bet. You know, that type of thing. It it can be hard. On the other hand, there can be so many blessings that you look at the difficulties you go through and you just go, "Ha! Ah, light and momentary suffering. Because when it's all over, and when we get to the end, we're going to go, wow, that happened so fast. You're going to be up with God and it's all going to be over. And so this this is an encouragement to us. One final scripture on this, that we don't see God working all the time. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, but we shall see face to face. In other words, we will see God looking directly at him. I don't know how that meeting is going to take place because Jesus is going to be on the throne, right? And how many people are going to be there? billions maybe and how many angels are going to be there billions maybe so how far will you be away like in the super bowl nosebleed section and you can't even hardly recognize the people on the field that type of thing will it be like that i don't think it's going to be like that maybe for a second or two but jesus is going to walk up to each one of us and say how you doing and you're going to say, I'm great. I'm fantastic. This is just wonderful to be. And everybody's like, hey, look, God's talking to you. Yeah. And it's going to be a fantastic meeting. And he's probably going to put his hand on your shoulder, maybe give you a hug. It's good to see you. You know, He's he's just going to be so in love with you. And that's what he's been waiting for is to be able to have fellowship, a conversation with you. Again, how that's going to happen... I have no idea. But he knows each one of us by name. And he's going to look right at us, right in our eyes. And he's going to call us by our name. And we're going to have a new name when we get up there. And it's going to be known only to us. But he's going to give us a new name. He is our good shepherd. He is the one that wants to bless us. Unfortunately, while we're here, we don't get the blessings all the time the way that we want them. God provides for us according to what we need and not according to what we want. He did this for Moses. He did this for the Israelites. And it's we're not going to be able to get into uh, chapter 34 here uh, today. And there's so much in chapter 34, I may have to take a couple of weeks just to go through that, how God is the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, the gracious God, full of mercy, long-suffering. All of these things are in those passages in uh, chapter 34, and it's just a fantastic thing. And I will bring understanding also that God will bring judgment upon the third and fourth generation of those who sin. That has often tripped up so many people. It's like, what if my father sins and I get judged according to what he did? And I'm going to explain all that when we get into chapter 34. But know this, as you go from this place, God wants to bless you. He is always around you. He is always working. He is always making something happen according to his will. You may not be able to see it, but through the practice of prayer, his presence will be realized. So I want to encourage you, get alone with God. Spend time with him and say, God, I want your moniker to be over my life. I want your marquee to be up there so that I can be a witness for others, so that I can have your full blessing. And if you pray that, God promises to do it. God wants to be close to us. He says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. My prayer is that you can draw near to God. Let's pray. Father, we, we give you thanks. We thank you for the example that Moses gives to us. How he spends time with you in the tent of meeting and he calls out for more of you. And Father, we do that this morning. We call out for more of you. And Lord, if there are those who are reluctant here, fearful of what you might, quote, do to them or where you might place them or the opportunities that might be presented to them, I ask that you would just give them peace, that you would cause the shoulders to drop, the heart rate to decrease, respiration to be not stilled, but brought low, Lord. Just being able to rest in what your spirit wants to do. And we thank you for your goodness, your grace to us, that you even forgive those who are wicked, those who go astray, those who commit sins. Father, we bless you for this. And may your name never depart from our lips. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and everyone said, Amen.